Welcome to the Sexual Mindfulness Project podcast, where we talk about creating an intentional relationship and how to find joy in slowing down, letting go of judgment, and connecting more deeply with your partner. All right, today, Dean and I are here together talking about boundaries and principles of sexual decision-making. So Dean, I think a good place for us to start off is just kind of understanding how some couples may struggle with ideas like they know that porn and adultery are sinful, but they, they disagree on the definition of maybe porn or what's inappropriate to bring into their relationship. For example, some couples, one may feel like romantic comedies are fine, but the other feels like they're intended to arouse and so they're off limits. How can couples kind of navigate this difference in understanding what is in boundaries and what's out of bounds? Well, it seems like the first thing that has to be done is they have to recognize that they have a difference. And so that's going to require a degree of openness about discussing this. And I don't know that, you know, couples like maybe if they're watching all the media mostly together, would would have lots of opportunities to talk about like that ah, and think that was appropriate or, you know, whatever. Right. But so often today, it seems like people are in their own little worlds watching their own things. It's true. Um, yeah. And so like, if I want to watch a ball game, my wife doesn't care about it. She doesn't want to watch right. it. It's wants... not like we just have one TV anymore. Right, right. Everybody has their own personal <laughs> device. And so my guess is the first hurdle is actually being aware of what each person's watching and how they're standards or boundaries is the word you're using which i like is i mean where is their boundary and is it something that you agree or disagree with mm -hmm. i mean i had this very question come up for me in a, in, a, in an interesting workshop experience and the man came up and we i just sort of talked about voyeurism exhibitionism and that there's these degrees of it and you know that we each are voyeurs in one way or another when we watch the private lives of others and where is the line and mm -hmm. we each have to sort of come to a place where we feel like oh this is good storytelling it's helping me understand myself versus now i'm getting into things i don't really need to know about people's lives even if it's fictional yeah and so the guy comes up and he says well see i told you that those romantic comedies were you know were inappropriate and i says i don't remember saying that i mean he said, yeah but that's what i took from it. he says well you know when i watch those i'm much more interested in sex he says well maybe that's okay to and they, they were sort of laughing <laughs> yeah. and so they both sort of acknowledged that there was enough sexual content in those that they got her more interested it certainly did suggest yeah yeah but the question is is that inappropriate well, you know what what is the where is the boundary there and so you know i think a lot of things get us thinking about sex you know, and so then there's this line of, oh, we, so it's just an appropriate movie that shows a couple in love and you kind of hint that they're being sexual. It can get you thinking about sex. Is that wrong? Right, right. Probably not. But then there's more and more explicit views of what they're doing sexually and where is that line? And you're going to have to come to a place where you feel like this is what is good for us as a couple. And, you know, where do you officially fall into 
what's officially porn. And it's, you know, I don't, I'm not comfortable saying that everybody can define that uniquely because I think there's yeah. pretty clear. I mean, we've done some studies on this and we've asked people what is porn and what is not porn. We've given them textual descriptions. Like you see somebody without clothes on or somebody mm -hmm. with a swimsuit on or somebody talking about, you know, clearly when people start removing clothing, uh, private area you know the, the breasts and the yeah. genitals that that most people consider that to be have, having crossed the line yeah and so you know you're watching a movie and it has a scene is that whole movie porn pornographic no but there's a scene in it that's, mm -hmm. that's likely right. crossing that line and so where are you going to decide as a couple you're going to have to decide is that you know what do we do about that and how do we feel about that and, and where is that line going to be and then the textual stuff is really interesting because we also know that some people read very explicit textual material they're often called romance novels and it's as explicit as anything you would see in terms of what they describe in the text and is that porn and in my mind it's the same sort of thing you know you get to a place where you're describing specific sexual acts and mm -hmm. what's going on with the body parts and all that it's it's the same thing as visual porn it's just a different kind of porn but again none of the things that we read and we see today hardly are fully out of this category or fully in this category you know they're all sort of fuzzy except for maybe the g-rated disney thing yeah. or something and there's yeah. not many of those left so what does that mean is that means that you're constantly in a conversation as a couple and as a family of where are we at with the media we're looking at and is it crossing this line and are we comfortable with that is it help is it hurting us is it, yeah is it... so that's a lot of conversations about media that we're not having right and in fact that's kind of what I was thinking about when we were talking about these questions was that this really is just getting at a larger issue of how well do we really discuss these differences, these differences of opinions that we each may have, whether this particular rom-com is inappropriate or is it within bounds? That's a decision that's going to take an awful lot of conversation. Mm -hmm. you know, just And I think one of the red flags when this happens in a relationship is when one partner or the other starts kind of wagging their finger at the other and saying, you know, the way mm -hmm. you view this is wrong and I'm the pure, you know, bastion of morality. And instead just saying, okay, this is where we're each at. Why do we feel this way? How can we, you know, come to some sort of agreement about what's in bounds and what's out of bounds. Yeah. And, and that's really the same thing that's happening in every other area of our relationship. I'm not sure it's a lot different other than there may be some more serious consequences if we are more permissive on this on this topic. Yeah. And the other thing that's unique, I think, is that the media we know is getting more explicit yes. year by year. And so it's not like it's a static thing you can decide this level i mean ratings and such as an example this right. level of rating is inappropriate this level is not and so you're going to have to keep negotiating and keep talking and keep discussing i mean in general i think it's a good idea for family members to know what's going on in their home and what's being viewed in general you know everybody mm -hmm. doesn't need to be looking over everybody else's shoulder that's not what i'm saying but you just want to be together as a family working at keeping a certain environment in your home a certain feeling in your home where the materials coming in are not offensive and so if different family members have different 
you know, evaluations of what is offensive, I think in general, you want to try to honor those. Right. Uh, What's the cost? So what if there's a particular series you can't look watch because the language right. is offensive or the nudity is offensive or whatever for yeah. one person versus the other. What what's the big deal? It's just a show. So it's not a it's not a huge thing to give up for your partner, I think, in most instances. Yeah. It reminds me of just an experience that David and I had early in our marriage where I was a little more tolerant of, you know, kissing or hugging or those romantic scenes that, you know, they fell into bed or whatever. And he was really more offended by those. I was much more offended by violence, you know, and mm-hmm. I, and I think that sometimes that does fall along, you know, different partners feel like, you know, some things are not as offensive to them. Like what you're saying, it probably doesn't matter, whatever yeah. it is, if it's yeah. the violence, if it's, you know, the suggestive material, it's something to talk about and come yeah. to some sort of agreement. Yeah, the Europeans think we're crazy that we accept all this violence in our, right. our lives. And, yeah. and a little bit of nudity freaks us out. They Maybe mean, I'm more European. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just the way they think about us. And they may be right. I mean, the cost of violent media on us as a society in many ways is equal to or worse than, than the pornographics yeah. in, in terms of... But truthfully, all of it probably has some impact. And so you've got to talk about that and, and confront it. Yeah, and and then the other question is, so let's say that the partners don't agree about something. The simplest thing is you sort of accept the person with the, what do we want to call it, the most strict boundaries. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. Sort of accept that. But is there also room a little bit for you to have little different standards? And sometimes Mm -hmm. if that's something to also just, again, talk about, like, well, you don't like this kind of stuff. It doesn't bother me so much. Is what do you, how do you feel like if I watch this kind of show and you don't watch this kind of show? I mean, I think, again, just being open about that in, in general so that you're not hiding and you're not doing things behind each other's back is the healthiest way and and always listening to your partners that they have a different standard than yours is really something right yeah well so we outline the four principles of sexual decision making which are marital unity couple consensus having a positive attitude towards sex and uh, sexual potential And yet what if like, kind of like what we're already talking about, what if a couple they're trying to, you know, make sexual decisions based on those principles, but they just really have a hard time coming together in unity or, you know, creating consensus Mm -hmm. on these different decisions of what's appropriate in sex, what's inappropriate. Yeah, the first two principles are easy to get confused in my mind. Unity is not about you're unified as a couple. It's I think it's still at the individual. To me, at least when we wrote those, it was when you're thinking about this behavior that you need to decide on Mm -hmm. in your sexuality. Do you feel like doing that will help you become more unified as a couple? If you right off the bat say, not really sure, you'd probably like forget it. You know, uh, and so that's it's a it's a personal evaluation because then the next one is the couple one. Are you in consensus? Do you agree? Can you agree? Can you get to a place where you agree on whether or not to do this particular behavior? That's the second piece. And so your question is, what if you can't agree? Mm -hmm. Is it always just a no go? Right. It kind of depends on, you know, we have these. What's the last one on that list? The sexual potential. 
Yeah. And then the, what's the third, third one? Uh, positive attitudes. Yeah. So if in the third one, we talk about if a person has a negative attitude toward a particular activity that another, the other partner wants to participate in, the question is, where is the source of that yeah. negativity? Yeah. And we can't always trust our negative things. I think we often want to start there feeling like why do but we have to evaluate why do I feel negative about this do I think that's weird and why do I think that's weird do I think that that's wrong why do I think you know what what is this attitude and then what is the source of that attitude so for example I remember one couple where the guys was pretty strict and this was unfortunate because his idea was that the only thing that was natural was penile vaginal intercourse pvi we mm -hmm. call that and the way they participated in that wasn't particularly enjoyable for her mm -hmm. and it was difficult without including some things around kissing and touching in other ways in foreplay that he thought was not the natural way of doing <laughs> things that she would be aroused enough to really enjoy the experience. Mm -hmm. And so then I, I started asking him, so where did you get this idea that the only natural thing was PBI? And he said, well, that's the only way you can have babies in the purpose of sex really in the bigger picture is to have babies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so then when I really pushed him, he said, well, because homosexuals can do other stuff that that you're just that, that sometimes my wife likes to do. And so it feels like it's not appropriate. And I said, well, homosexuals can do a lot of things, you know, lots and lots of things. And is that really the standard that you want to use? In your, you know, so we, we kept having this conversation and it, it turned out, I think over a series of, of times of working together on this, I didn't try to convince him that he was wrong. I was just trying to get to the source of that and have him ask questions about where did yeah. this come from? Do you feel comfortable with that? And is limiting what's available to you in your marriage. Right. And is it is it a sinful thing or is it just and some of the things in the end he realized that, you know, I just had I just had some homophobia as an adolescent and I just didn't want to do anything. That yeah. Could, is this a reaction? Yeah, to a that? reaction. And so some of those things he became more comfortable with, other things he didn't. Yeah. And they had to sort of talk through that. And so I think that's an example of where the source of your reluctance may be attitudes that are not always based on something you want to interfere with your relationship. Yeah. So I know in class, we talk about healthy or unhealthy inhibitions. And that's really what we're getting at here is, is your hang up with participating in something more creative in sex? Is it based on an unhealthy inhibition or, you know, just a genuine preference against that. Um, and, and that is going to take some thought to mm -hmm. really examine yourself. And like you're saying, like your example illustrated, just kind of getting at what is the root of it? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of women talk about, you know, I was given this message all through my life that I shouldn't enjoy sex. I should tamp mm -hmm. down any sexual. And so to really relax and enjoy sex, it seems like I'm kind of a bad girl, uh -huh. you know, like I'm doing something my mother would be very disapproving of. Right. And so that's going to really inhibit yeah. anything you do in sex, even just enjoying the intimacy of being naked with each other and enjoying each other's bodies. So really, you do have to kind of slow that down and examine where do, where do these attitudes come from? Is it really benefiting my relationship? Now, the challenge is, of course, that, that, that emerges in that second step, right? If you can't come to consensus because right. somebody, then the challenge is, so now you have this, this difference and you're not together. 
and then it's one person feels like it's not okay and the other does. How do you how do you sort of begin to walk through that without it becoming a sort of an accusatory? Well, you'll just yeah. you're just prudish or you're just hung right. up or you're just you just don't have any standards, you know, whatever, whatever yeah. you start accusing one another. Whereas I could sort of question this guy because I wasn't in a relationship, sexual relationship with him. It made yeah. it a little easier for him to not be defensive. When his spouse tried to suggest some things, he started questioning her spirituality, <laughs> you know, and so, yeah, so, so, so the ultimate question. Yeah. So <laughs> she couldn't just have a conversation. It was, you know, now a status of whether she was spiritual or not, if she agreed with them. And so, you know, that's how it gets difficult. I think the fundamental way to get through that is for each individual to be very open about their personal reluctance or challenges with a particular activity they have to go there and they have to be open about that rather than the partner sort of questioning them and accusing them and you yeah know, I mean partners can help a little with asking questions in a gentle way but I mean mostly you gotta say why do I not like this well these are some reasons I don't like this is that enough I don't know let me think about it and mm-hmm. sometimes you need a little time yeah what's the origin of it I, I do think that if you could start your marriage with this attitude of I'm gonna really self-reflect about how we handle things in our relationship to see whether or not it is beneficial or whether it's limiting us. And and it doesn't just have to be in sexuality. You know, you think of creating your own family traditions and we each came from, you know, different traditions. And if we think our traditions are the true traditions, then that's where it becomes problematic. If we think our ideas about sexuality are the true, the pure ideas about sexuality, then we're likely not giving enough room to even be curious about where our partner's coming from, what their perspective Mm. is. Yeah. And the other thing I think that can get in our way is sometimes we just don't like a particular thing. Yeah. It's not about right or wrong. Yeah. And so this is particularly true in the different sexual positions. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different positions that couples can try. And some of them work better for one partner than the other. Yeah. And so then if you don't know that, like you want to do a particular sexual position and your partner's reluctant and you think it's because they're hung up about something, Mm -hmm. but it's really just, it's not that fun for them. It's really helpful to sort of talk through like, why don't you like this? Yeah. And and, well, because, you know, I just doesn't do anything for me. It's like, as soon as we start that, I lose my arousal. And so then if you know that you can decide, is this one of those, it's just for me nights or is it, are we ever going to do this or not? We can experiment with different things about this particular position that may improve the because now I know that it's it's not about it's right or wrong it's about I just don't like it yeah you know and so sometimes this is where the analogy with food gets to be really applicable to me because there's just a lot of foods I can eat I don't like them (laughs) broccoli is a common example it's healthy and so I will eat it every single time my wife puts it on it's part of a dinner anybody serves it as part of it I will eat it but I will never make it for myself never Mm -hmm. I just, and now if I go to the store, I will never buy it. Right. It's just not something I like, but it doesn't kill me to eat some of it. And and so, you know, if we think about that in terms of sexuality, there's some things that you can do that aren't your preference, but there's not right or wrong. And your partner really likes it. And so occasionally that's fine. And no matter what, I mean, 
you can bury broccoli for me with enough sauces where I can't taste the broccoli, but then it feels like, why am I eating a vegetable? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, it's supposed to be healthy, but now I got cheese sauce and this sauce and that sauce. And it's like, I might as well just eat sugar on top of it, you know? And so, yeah, and that's, that's what you have to start, you know, figuring out. Um, and so, you know, there's some complications here that are fun to figure out and that are challenging. Yeah, I think one nice part, kind of the opposite side of what you're talking about is there's something that feels really nice when you give your partner just what they want. Yeah. And you're not, yeah, yeah, it's not your favorite thing to do or yeah. it's not your favorite position, but there's this real reward yeah. for just being generous. I agree. And sometimes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if you're always oh, just yeah. doing sure, what your sometimes. Wants, then, yes. Then- of course, that's martyrdom. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so you got to you got to balance that too. But but yes, that's and, and every couple, every person in a loving relationship is consistently giving. Yeah. And asking and for what you certainly need. hope it's reciprocated. Yeah. Right. And, and it should be you hope that both of you can kind of participate in that generous act of I know this is what you really like. So yeah. let's do that. There's, there's a series of challenges in our culture around these particular issues that we probably should touch on to some degree. There's lingering attitudes like this one I mentioned with this guy that if, you know, it's not intercourse, it's not natural. Though that's an attitude I keep running into. I don't, it has deep origins, I imagine. I don't, I don't, see it as any kind of doctrine or anything it's not official Mm -hmm. but it is it is troublesome it is troublesome in that it gets in it gets essentially it's like ghost getting in the middle of your relationship ghost from way back somewhere Mm -hmm. getting in the middle of your relationship and keeping the two of you from just sort of working together and experimenting and figuring out what's fun and what works for you you've got these ghosts of the shoulds and shouldn'ts back there and so those, there's a number of those. There's some about oral sex on the, along those lines as well in our culture. And, you know, couples consistently want me to say, is this okay? Is this not okay? And I never answer that question. I say, you two need to figure this out. And when you disagree about it, you're going to have to figure out why you disagree and what, what, how comfortable do you feel with those reasons getting in the way of your relationship? And then they say, well, should I talk to my bishop about it? And I, <laughs> and I, I typically say not early not until the point where you're having big fights about it and your your marriage is getting in trouble and then they're not really talking about oral sex they're just talking about the fact that they are struggling to right because the bishop has no more no more right to be in the middle of their marriage yeah sexual decisions than i do and but it's astonishing how much they just want somebody else to tell them that's a troublesome attitude Mm -hmm. it's the biggest problem with those steps if you're just not comfortable in your own skin and working together and coming up with your decisions you need somebody with more authority than the two of you to yeah. tell you what's right and wrong around sexuality you have a fundamental problem which i would imagine that most people at some level struggle with that right we we have something early yeah early yeah yeah i mean one one uh, one of my students mother said it the best way basically what you couldn't do before you can do now i'm not saying anything else about it and you two figure out what you like <laughs> you know that's exactly. kind of pretty straightforward <laughs> just stop worrying about all that stuff you couldn't do work together, figure out what you like. Yes. It's pretty straightforward, yes. but you're right. So early on, you kind of, because all of your life, you've had these don'ts and, you know, it, it's so you 
tell me what's okay, what's not okay. Yeah, and you're also really struggling with developing autonomy. Yeah. And I think a lot of people struggle to to say, you know what, no, I really do like that, even within the marriage, right? I really do like that. If you don't, that's okay, but I'm going to stay strong and and admit and not back down and just say, okay, I like whatever you like, instead of saying, yeah, I really would love it if we would try something creative or if we would use a different position. And if if you're still at that point in your relationship where the person who doesn't want to do it is just digging in and refusing, mm-hmm. then you've got to maintain this sense of self, sense of who you are. Yeah, I don't have to give in and say, yeah, it's okay if we don't do that. I can say, it's not okay, but I'm going to give you time. Mm-hmm to, you know, figure out why it is you mm-hmm. don't want to be creative. You don't want to try something different. And I think that's, that takes a lot of strength and yeah. self-evaluation. And- Maturity. Yeah, you're right. It, it, and so there, at some level, we're, we are, where are we at in this process of maturity? But I think what, what I'm trying to say is when you want somebody else to make your decisions outside of yeah. your relationship, it's a sign of immaturity. So, Absolutely. so start there. Yeah. Why am I uncomfortable making my own decisions? What do I, what do I need to figure out? So I get more comfortable with that. So mm-hmm. then we can make these decisions and I'm not giving up my autonomy to other people. I, it's funny because I was a seventh born and by the time my parents got to me, I got to do whatever the heck I wanted to do. <laughs> so autonomy hasn't been like this problem. For, like, so I, I really have a hard time understanding it just because lucky but, for but you. the firstborns and the earlier borns, <laughs> they have a lot more problems with this because they were told all the time. Yeah. This well, is in and this or is the out. really rigid families. Yes. Just yes. In general. And so, you know, maybe that's too much autonomy. You know, obviously the, that's what my siblings said I was spoiled. So, um, you know, that that's the, the problem on that side. But still, it's it's sometimes so hard for me to sort of like, how come you want everybody else to choose for you? I just don't understand that thinking. It's mm-hmm. hard. Yeah, well, there, it's just muscles that haven't been exercised. So people who haven't exercised their autonomy and feel comfortable with that are really struggling and kind of looking around waiting for whoever the authority to make that decision for yeah. them. There's this pause like, yeah, I don't even know how to do that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So let's let's shift gears just a little bit and talk about what's the best way to still love and respect your parents and your family, but establish boundaries that help a couple create their own marriage, their own space. You know, I love what you just said that, you know, some mom said what was not allowed before is allowed now. But even with that, there are some parents who maybe want to have a little more say in their child's marriage than is appropriate. Definitely. And it's so often that the children invite that too. Mm. And so it's a two-way street. And so that that's a tri- that's a triangle. We call that triangle, right? Where when you have a dyad and there's a little bit of tension in the dyad, you seek another person to solve the problem for mm-hmm. you. It doesn't help the dyad. It's that's not healthy, except for in instances like a therapist or a bishop when there's sure something beyond the two of you and so it's natural for let's say let's say you have a really close relationship with one of your parents and you've always turned to them for help and now you're you're newly married and you're having some differences in the sexuality area and so it would be so natural for you just to go to that parent and say i don't know what to do about this and because you've got that relationship the parent's going to naturally just sort of start talking to you about it not realizing that i'm getting into stuff i don't belong in yeah and and so the you know the healthiest parent would say you know you shouldn't be talking to me about your sex life (laughs) that's not my business right 
And so that's the first thing I want to say to you. And I think you two can work this out. Unless the two of you are here together and you yeah. both want to talk to me in an open yeah. way, I think that's the only way we should be talking about it. That's the way that boundary needs to be set up. And if the parent pursues the child, how are things going for you in your marriage? And sort of you can tell they're wanting to see, well, mom, that's not your business. Or yeah. dad, that's not your business, you know? And so you have to get, it, you know, it's, it's that that's part of that early difficulty in marriage, isn't it? Is, is establishing your boundaries around your relationship that your parents are not a part of. And that can be hard for people who have really close relationships with their parents. Yeah. And, you know, it's very simple. You describe it in a very simple way that you can just set these boundaries by saying, uh, yeah, that's it's not really your business or mm-hmm. the parent saying that to the child. How, if that is happening already, you know, like we've already kind of breached that boundary, how do we pull back? And because I imagine that that's um, one of, that's a pretty big hurt in, in a relationship where you feel a little betrayed that your partner has told a parent uh, something yeah, really personal. Very personal. And now maybe they look down on your partner. And so that it creates all sorts of, you know, complications and feelings yeah i had a family member a number of years ago tell me this is uh, not my immediate family it was a, a more distant family member told me that one of her sons had was having a problem with pornography he's married and i said how did you find this out and he says well his wife told me i said that, that's not your business mm-hmm. you need to get out of that as fast mm-hmm. as you can they need to deal with this that's their problem you have no business knowing about it that was a breach of the boundary. And uh, I, I, and it's, you know, she was so upset and she didn't need to be. It wasn't her business. Mm. And there was nothing for her to do. I mean, how, what was she going to do? Console her daughter-in-law, you know, and then at the same time, offend her son who right. would be upset that she even knew, et cetera. You know, that's a, that's a good example because it has, it's one of those what I've seen where family members breach those boundaries. Yeah. Somebody's done some indiscretion. It doesn't have to be porn. Something that the partner doesn't, doesn't like and so then they go to a parent and so I think how 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 do you reestablish I think you have to go to your spouse that you when you've offended them by breaching the boundary you have to mm-hmm. say oh, you know what I told my parents about this and I'm sorry that was yeah. not right and I'm not gonna do it again right and you know I think you have to just own that and go and, and seek forgiveness and, and then talk about why you felt so much anxiety you wanted to go to your parents I'm like this was really hard for me when I found this out you know, let's say it's a porn problem. Yeah. When I found out you were watching this, I was so upset. I just needed to talk to somebody and I didn't think right. I should have talked to you or we should have gone to a therapist or something. But I just, yeah. and so that's a, that's an example of how to sort of pull back. You start with your relationship with your partner. And then if you, you've now broken this and you've talked to a family member and the family member says, how are you doing? And wants to talk about it. Says, I shouldn't have talked to you about that in the yeah. first place. I'm sorry. And so it's, it's not complicated, but it's super painful. Yeah. And yet, you know, I can, I really could have sympathy for the person who feels a little sideswiped by finding this out about their partner. They certainly need someone to talk to, but the better approach is to go to your spouse and say, listen, I'm really struggling. Mm -hmm. I need to talk with someone and, you know, maybe it's a therapist, but maybe it is someone we both trust to give good advice. Yes. 
Excellent. I mean, but it's together. You yeah, go together. together. Always right. go together with sexual problems. That's yeah. just the sort of like fundamental key. And like, let's say in this scenario that this particular guy had a long-term compulsive issue with pornography and yeah. he wanted to keep, and he needed to keep getting some individual therapy and all about that. I think there's room for that individual, but there's going to need to be some couple work too, to sort of deal with the, yeah. with the feelings and the hurt and all that. And and so they, they need to agree about it when they go to the individual yeah. help. And maybe she needs some individual work with depression or something. I yeah, maybe know. having some, you know, agreed upon network that you can talk to. And so that people don't feel like they're facing it all on their own. Yeah. All right. How about we know that we need to have our own interests and develop personally, have, you know, individual growth. But sometimes one of the partners can feel that when their spouse is growing, you know, maybe it's academically, maybe they're, they've got some, you know, hobbies that they really enjoy. Maybe they even have some good friendships. They go golfing with their buddies or, you know, whatever it is that, that the person who is not necessarily engaged in that personal growth, that they feel a little bit hurt or left out or, you know, struggle that their partner is doing so much personal development Mm. and they're not maybe balancing that with enough belonging. How, how do we address that? Because certainly personal growth is so important. That keeps us alive and working towards goals. Yeah, and we have this sort of false idea nowadays that your marriage is supposed to meet all of your needs. Yeah. Holy cow, that's so much pressure. It's a burden. Yeah, and and we we need additional friends and resources and activities you know, that space away is really helpful and, and vital for the marriage too. So we have to remember that. When, when is it in balance? And when is it, when is it not? I mean, I think each, each person should ask themselves some questions about, do I have any friends outside of my marriage? And if they don't, it's a good thing to do to have a few friends. Yeah. And so that then again, you can, can get some strength in other places and all that pressure is not in marriage. And then the question begins, if they have a lots of friends and they're not spending much time with their spouse, you know, what's the source of that? What's going on there? Is that because you don't get along? Is that because you haven't put the effort in? And so, and your spouse is often the first place to start with, like, is this balance right? Do we have this right? If the spouse is a little bit insecure about other friends, that's probably their issue, right? Any friends, Mm -hmm. that's that isolation thing, which is a sign of danger, you know, that that somebody is too insecurely attached, so they can't have you competing with anything else competing in their life. Right. Then so they they need to work on that issue. And and then, of course, we know in terms of sometimes males isolate women and that's a sign a very dangerous sign that that they're going to be abusive they don't let anybody talk to them they don't let them interact with anybody else they just sort of shrink their life down and make them super vulnerable and so those that's not a good sign if if your partner doesn't let you let you want you to engage with anything else in your life except for them and so first thing is okay if that's the case figure out what the insecurity is about talk about it keep your boundaries and no, I'm going to have some hobbies and some friends mm-hmm. in this marriage and we can keep talking about it so that it's balanced, but I'm not going to get isolated. I, I found I, and most of the time that is not the problem. Most of the time is over time, you just get lazier and lazier and it's harder to keep friendships up. And mm-hmm. especially if you have big families and stuff, you just, 
stop like right well they are your friends yeah yeah and so then (laughs) and so then you don't you you stop having your hobbies you stop having your friends and it's just about your kids and your marriage and that's pretty isolating it's it's not it's not particularly healthy either and so that's probably more a common problem as you get towards middle age and so then i think each of you needs to be looking after the welfare of your partners becoming yeah you know, what, what's going on with my partner? Are they engaged in hobbies and engaged in friendships? And how can I help facilitate? And often it's nice to bring a couple, you know, facilitate a couple relationship and then the friendships can get started and you yeah. can help facilitate that. So, so maybe the take-home message is just have a little, you know, one-on-one with your spouse and say, how do you feel like we're balancing these two needs that we have, this belonging and becoming? kind of get that on the table if one feels like yeah no I think we need to just be together all the time and the other says yeah no I need some alone time Mm -hmm. as well what are some interests you have like maybe encouraging the person who feels a little less secure uh you know to branch out to you know what are some what's a hobby you might want to do what's a way you might want to grow I think this is important for both of us so don't make it like yeah no I'm going to do my thing uh with or without your consent Yeah, help yeah. each other. And so yeah. if, if the partner's reluctant to try, what can I do to help? Do yeah. I need to watch the kids for a particular right. night? Or do I need to help you sign up for something? I know some friends, yeah. whatever, you know. So yeah, I, I agree. It, 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 and because the, the thing is, nobody really in the end, it, it gets hard to be with a partner who is not balanced. Yeah, it's exhausting. Yeah. And so you both want to help each other have a full life and be invested in that even if part of that life means they're they're not doing some things with you all right so what's wrong if anything with just having a whole detailed set of rules we kind of touched on this so maybe we already know the answer but let's let's just be clear here with having a whole detailed set of rules from the church that just tells us or from leaders that just tells us what is right and what is wrong in you know your sexual relationship because truthfully, you know, there is so much confusion and variety of things that people suggest and different ways that people live their lives or create a marriage that it becomes confusing and we're not sure we're on, you know, that right path. What's wrong with the set of rules? Well, I guess uh, it, it, we have an interesting faith, don't we? It's considered a high demand faith. Yeah. And that it requires a lot of us. But it isn't heavily rule-based in some ways that some faiths are. Um, like True. if you think yeah. Sabbath rules, you think different areas of life, we don't have as many rules and we leave that up to the family and the couple. And it it it, it seems like I mean you how can you read the New Testament without coming away with the with the clear message that over lots of time religions get too obsessive about rules Mm -hmm. and too pharisaic you know there's so many rules and it's all about the rules and you know paul's all constant harping on the law is death you know the atonement is life let go of this fixation on all of the rules and so i think at some level the, the answer to your question is because it's not healthy for us to have such a strict system that we aren't able to express ourselves and our autonomy and make our own decisions. And so that's, that's the simplest answer to that. I guess I would add just right there that maybe we're uncomfortable with 
ambiguity in what the boundaries are, right? We ourselves see this wide open field and it's scary to have to navigate that ourselves. And so we want someone else to, to just tell us, you know, how to put one foot in front of the other and get through this wide open field mm -hmm. instead of digging down and realizing that maybe there's a lot of okay paths, yeah. which again, I don't know that we're really comfortable with in our culture that people can do things very different than we do. Mm -hmm. And it's perfectly okay. Yeah, perfectly fine. We we had a pretty clear rule in our my father was and most of us as kids were really into sports. Like he was this professional level athlete. So yeah. I mean a lot to him. It's where he found a lot of identity. And so it was really clear in our family that the Sabbath was a time where that was not okay because mm -hmm. it needed to be a day set apart. And I remember once listening to a general story that came down and, and he, this was a very busy man. And he talked about how on Sundays he would go out with his son and shoot baskets. And immediately my reaction was, what? that's wrong because <laughs> in my family, you know, we yeah. shoot baskets all the time and that's not a Sunday thing. But that's the point, right? right. In my family, we were shooting baskets all the time. In his family, he didn't ever have time to be with his son and shoot baskets. And it was a really time to get his son to loosen up and talk and knowing adolescent boys, yeah. you need a mechanism. That's a great way. So I thought, you know, once I settled down and started, you know, is this a rule? Is this a commandment? No, yeah. it isn't. It's a preference. It's a choice as a family. It really helped me sort of begin to identify, like you said, this important idea that there's when there's flexibility that as a family and as a couple you can develop your ways of approaching different issues and when you have your own choices you can keep working with it until it works for you as a family so that the sabbath is a special day yeah and maybe a special day for you does mean that you you guys go for a walk in the mountains but other people are always up in the mountains and mm -hmm. so they don't go for walks in the mountain you know whatever yeah you're going to have your own ways of of setting those boundaries and sexuality is is because we don't know we, we shouldn't know what's going on in other people's lives about sexuality there's actually a little bit more uh, flexibility there because we're not you know at some level you know i would be a little worried about if i was out playing sports on sunday at least where I was when I heard that story, I would mm -hmm. be like, people would think I'm breaking the Sabbath, you know? So it wasn't <laughs> just about what I want to do, but it's about also how I feel about what message I'm sending to the, to the public, right mm -hmm. or wrong. Mm -hmm. But in sexuality, nobody, you know, that's not public right. knowledge. And so you have room to sort of carve that out and keep experimenting with it. But it creates this tension with, are we in line? Are we doing things? And so that, that subtle feeling of is our sexual relationship helping us grow closer together or is this you know just sort of a sort of this issue we're working on is it sidetrack is it pushing us apart it takes some time to figure out mm -hmm. it's not as simple as just asking the question you have to sometimes experiment and practice and talk and over time you might say you know what that's really not not helpful for us or yeah it's fine and it's that experimentation that we are so uncomfortable with because it requires a lot more effort to figure out if it's working than if it's just a rule and you're on one side or you're on the other. Right. Well, and you also have to take responsibility for when things don't work. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you try something and you both kind of feel, yeah, like 
that just that that's not good for us that yeah, didn't work yeah. that makes us feel lousy whatever and you can't blame it on anybody else but mm-hmm. yourself well okay so we misstepped or we meant yeah. we just didn't you know think that one through very well mm-hmm. um and i think some people are afraid of that as well yes. that seems to be difficult so really in the end you know maybe the message is what you said at the beginning that there's just this process of maturing yeah. in understanding what works in our sexual relationships, that there aren't too many rules really around mm-hmm. it other than what you're going to create as a couple. And so navigating through this you know, ambiguity until you kind of have defined what those boundaries are can be unsettling and requires us to, to kind of challenge ourselves and see why we think how we do, why our partner thinks how they do, and then come to some new agreed upon practices. Yeah. Well, and it's sometimes helpful to take a step back and say, even though there is quite a bit of flexibility in our sexual relationships, in the bigger picture, the world is experimenting with a lot of destructive, you know, polyamorous Mm -hmm. stuff and regular use of porn and stimulate, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And, And so in the bigger picture, we do have a reasonable set of boundaries that we've been told about, you know, you to keep other people out of your sexual relationship. And that's a boundary that's being broken all the time now by really smart people that are messing up their lives and because they don't have Mm -hmm. the faith that, that we have. And so even though whatever degree of flexibility we have can make us feel uncomfortable, there's still this safety net of, you know, this is about the two of you. There's a sacred space. You don't let other people in and appreciating that space that there are some boundaries and honoring those and you know, even though we're frustrated with the choices we do have sometimes. Yeah. So just to be clear, those boundaries, I mean, like I said, there are very few rules, but there are a couple, right? Mm-hmm. We don't bring other people into our relationships and we want to make sure that each other feels valued and, you know, we're, we're doing things that build the relationship. Mm-hmm. But that leaves so much open space for people to be creative and think about how to really build that relationship and really create some beauty in an area of their life that everybody else is blocked out of and how how meaningful that can be Mm -hmm. for your marriage. Yeah, creating that story, that dance, I like to call it, you know, sexual dance. The, the, The autonomy that we have is part of what makes it uniquely powerful. If we had this, so this is a better answer actually to that other question you have about why not a bunch of rules. Mm -hmm. If if it's a bunch of rules, you're not deciding together and creating that dance. You're, you know, and we and sort of you think about dances that are a little more flexible versus really rigid. Mm -hmm. This is one where you can create that dance, only your dance. You're dancing to your own music and your own preferences, and it's beautiful and it's just yours. And that and then it has this unique power to help you stay together. Whereas if it's somebody else's rules and, you know, requirements, why, you know, you follow them, but you may not have that same power. Sounds a little boring after a while. Right. I mean, just going along with your dance analogy, I used to dance on the ballroom dance team and the quick step is just a laid out set of Mm -hmm. steps, you Mm -hmm. know, and you just kind of keep repeating that, but it gets kind of boring after a while. And, and even to watch, it's kind of after a few, you know, series of the same steps it's not that interesting but you know you look at something like the viennese waltz or the waltz or the cha-cha where people can really create something different every single step 
of the way and it challenges them both. You see, you know, are you following your partner? Are you being creative using these steps? And it's really fun to watch. It's mm-hmm. really fun to participate in and yeah. you know, not know what's next. And so what is the what is the analogy for jazz music for mm. dancing? For, what, what is that? What would you call it? What's the jazz version of ballroom dance? I don't know. Is there something that's just improvisational like, like that? Well, there's steps, but yeah, you could you could certainly any of those other dances, you can choose how you string the steps together. Yeah. So it's like is modern dance then Yeah, for sure. Yeah, modern dance is doesn't much have more, the same. Yeah. It's probably that's probably what our sexuality is more like, a more of a modern dance, even. I mean, mm. although I I mean I kind of like this idea you're presenting. There's these that have a series of there's a bit of structure, but it's pretty flexible. It's probably something yeah. between free-for-all. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, it, it, we would have to keep working on this. Yeah. Metaphor, but um, we'll have to use this in our book at some yeah, point. Definitely. I mean, I, <laughs> But I tell students that it's more like jazz music than it is classical. But, yeah. you know, if you think about Beethoven compared to some of the more rigid classical, he was really creative mm-hmm. within that structure. And so you, you maybe you like classical music in your relationship. <laughs> yeah. Jazz is, hard. Well, and it's jazz certainly, is hard for me, you know. But I, I think even to. people who, yeah, people who are really great at jazz, they had some fundamentals to begin with yeah, right definitely. they had they had to know the rules before they could break the rules and do it well yeah, right that's, that's, that's true right they say that about painting too you've got to learn the basics of good painting before you can sort of branch out and do yeah. if you don't know how to do the depth and the dimension you know the other stuff right. and the colors then you're just a bad painter it's, <laughs> you know and uh, and so then you you can then break the rules in creative ways. So, yeah. yeah, what's interesting to me about what we've talked about today is that so much of the decisions people make about their sexual relationship are made either out of fear or out of a really good understanding and knowledgeable understanding of sex, right? If you If you're not willing to explore some of these other, you know, positions or oral sex or whatever it is, you have to understand why, why that might be and why, why might it be good to try something more creative, right? Like Mm -hmm. you suggested different positions might benefit, you know, different people. And, and so understanding the value of this creativeness in sex is also an important part of, of the discussion that we should be having about what is in bounds, what's out of bounds. And I think there's also, I mean, this is a diet. You have to honor your partner's place. So as we talked about maturity, I thought to myself, well, I need to know where my maturity is at and where my spouse is. And if I'm Mm -hmm. pushing too hard and I can see it's really stressing my spouse out and with some time and space that might not be such an anxiety provoking process, I need to respect that too. You know, you want to encourage movement and growth, but you've also got to meet people where they're at and you, you kind of walk with them forward you don't just you know plow forward and so that's the challenge isn't it it's loving each other enough to love them where they're at and then to work together to grow to a new place and so it's it's got a it's got layers of complexity that you have to keep chipping away at i think yeah in terms of these things i love it dean thanks that's it for this week don't forget to follow us on instagram and facebook at sexual mindfulness project and subscribe to our website, shalomlevitt.com, 
to stay up to date with the latest information on sexual mindfulness. Thanks for listening.